right, I'm Biohacking Joe Baines and welcome to my podcast, Life Hacks. So I've got Matthew Fong. Oh, so Matthew, tell me about your show first. Oh, well, my show's called BBC, British Born Chinese. Um, it's a city cafe, quarter past 11 at night. It's a late show. So uh, it's, it's we're in the last week of the fringe, so I don't think you're going to get to see it anyway. But uh, it's been a it's been a fantastic run, and I'm hoping to take it on tour as well. So British-born Chinese might be coming to a, a town near you soon. And what have you learned by doing this show? Um, what what have you had? One of the things that I've really learned about this show is uh, actually just doing the fringe in general. Is that um, it? doesn't necessarily matter what people in the industry are thinking of because you, you know what it's like in the comedy circuit at the moment there's so many people fighting for gigs and trying to move forward it's difficult to, to stand out and to make a difference and to, to be that act that gets booked on the regular like the the shows that I've, I've done has been really well received um, it's had quite a lot of praise which is you know unexpected I, I expected to be doing it to four to eight people every night and I've had a full room pretty much for the full run um, so it's having the audience empower me to have more belief in myself and uh, to take the opportunities that are there at the fringe so it's like going to the meet the media and going to the uh, how to tour your show events and how to do like going to the networking uh, meetings and booking in with the uh, fringe careers development I think that would that kind of leads me into my, my first life hack which is don't self-sabotage like most people um, will stop themselves through fear yeah and I think if you if you stop stopping yourself you'll have a better chance of success and, and take the opportunities that are there uh, available for you especially in an industry like we work in and uh, at the fringe you have experts from all over the world who are here and they're looking for, for people like us but if you don't put yourself out there they're, they're never going to see you so, so how do you stop yourself from self-sabotaging? Um, for, for me um, it was the audience that really gave me the confidence to to move forward I was always planning on touring the show after the fringe but it was going to be through a, like rural tours going into small towns uh, pubs with function rooms, places that don't normally get comedy um, and doing it there but with the amount of um, uh, audience that I've had I think I can move up to that next level and to go into like the small studio rooms and theatres and actually have it in as a, a, a national theatre tour as well. Nice. Um, so it was really people believing in what I do gave me the confidence in myself to then stop self-sabotaging yeah okay that's good and what have you optimized in your life um like, well, I, like, like for, let's say for example your morning routine do you have a morning routine so I, um my day is very uh varied because i do this full time so you, you have a lot of free time on your hands and uh, no one really tells you the amount of admin that is involved in, in working in the creative section. Uh, so it's, it's, first of all, I like to watch a motivational video. So 
if, if I'm feeling like I don't want to get out of bed and I'm struggling to be like, oh, I've got to get up and do emails today and I've got to be contacting venues and cold calling and all that rubbish, yeah. I'll stick on something motivational on YouTube uh, and then... You know, it, it gives me the get up and go to get out of bed and go, all right, actually, you know, today I'm, I'm going to get on with the stuff that I don't enjoy doing. I'm not going to spend my day writing jokes and, and drawing cartoons and uh, writing scripts, you know, because it's the, like, that's the stuff that we want to do. Yeah. And doing the stuff that I want to do, I, I could do all day. Yeah. But it, that's not really the stuff that makes you the money. It's the, the cold calling, the admin, the, the get in front of, the, of agents and booking in gigs. Um, so, yeah, just getting the get up and go in the morning to do that. And then once I've had a small victory uh, doing some admin, then I'll move on to a more creative task. What kind of motivation videos? Who's your best ones, you know, motivation speakers? Uh, so, like... Uh, so, so you'll have heard the speech uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, yeah. has done, you yeah. know, so it's stuff along those lines, uh, people that I've looked, looked up to in. Uh, Les Dawson. Yeah, 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 exactly. All, so all those types of things, so I just, and I don't like listening to the same one yeah. all the time because then it becomes repetitive and, and, you know, you've got it lodged in your brain anyway, so. I try to listen to different ones, so I'll just type it into YouTube on my phone, I'll skim through to a random motivational video and click on it. Some days it works, some days it doesn't, but um, yeah, that's that's one way I get, I get, get my get up and go in the morning. What did you do before comedy? Wow, um, before I was a comedian, I was an FMCG salesman, so that's fast moving consumer goods sales. Um, I worked with uh, the NHS, MOD, uh, places like the Radisson, Hilton, um, pub groups, uh, distribution centres, and I would uh, negotiate contracts and try and get them to place orders for various different items. Okay, and why did you want to move into comedy from there? Well, uh, the whole thing is, uh, if, if I'm so thankful for sec for being a salesman, first of all, because if it wasn't for my career in sales, I would have never been a stand-up comedian. So, you know, I had a, it was a very high-stress life. I had a high sales target, a million pound a year sales target, which would roll on year on year. So, if I got a million pounds of business from the first year, those customers, even if they'd rolled on to the next year, wouldn't count toward my million pound new sales target. Oh, right. So, yeah, it was very... Very competitive, really high stress. I was losing my hair, and if just like, yeah, sure. I'm really, really proud of this right now. It's um, yeah, stress makes you lose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, look at me. You're seeing so bad, but um, so I actually got into comedy through sales. So I was doing a sales pitch at the uh, Birmingham NEC, and I met a group of guys there who were the Antics, um, and they were a comedy group uh, based at the University of Sheffield Hallam. Yeah. Now they brought their uh, commercial services manager over, a wonderful guy called Andy Farmer, who now lives over in Australia. Um, they brought him over, and uh, I did my pitch to him, and then he asked me if I wanted to do a, a set on the comedy night, which the Antics ran. Uh, and I thought it was just 
joking. Um, but a few emails later, we got um, got talking, and he said, "I'll come down." So I ended up doing my first comedy spot um, because of a, a sale that I made. And then during that first gig, um, it was a life-changing moment. Um, so a, a lot of people often talk about you know a light bulb moment where like it's the cartoon like the top of your head blows off. Yeah. Um, and that happened to me while I was on stage uh, during the middle of my set. Um, I couldn't believe that it'd taken me so long to get up and do stand-up comedy. Uh, and I really felt like I found my true calling in life um, during my first gig. And since then, I've, I've never looked back and I've just strived to be a, a full-time comedian. Okay. And how long have you been doing stand-up comedy now? Uh, I started in 2011. Uh, I went full-time in 2012, so uh, just under a decade, so about eight years. Oh, nice. Okay. And um, where, do you, where do you live now? Do you, do you live? So I'm, I'm based in Leeds. Um, I'm, I'm not a girl, and, uh, you know, it's just happened that uh, she, she, she worked in Leeds, and uh, Leeds is a great place to be for comedy. The houses are affordable. You're just off the M62 and the A1 and the M1. So you've got north, south, east, west, all covered. So you can straight on the motorway, you can just jump down and all get right. through. So it's a, it's a real good location. Nice. I tell okay. all the London comics to get out of the London circuit, move yeah. up north, and actually make some money. Well, I, I was thinking like a good place to live would be like the centre of uh, Birmingham, mm. because Birmingham gives you access to everywhere. You know, it's yeah, right you've got in the, 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 the M6, the A42, yeah. the M42, and two, plus so you can take the train directly into London. Yeah, uh, and also there's a direct train from there to Manchester. You've got Liverpool, you Wales as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you live like within five minutes walk from the train station in Birmingham, you could get everywhere like really fast on yeah. the train. You know, like it'd be. Uh, you just need to buy a, like a monthly pass or a yearly pass. I don't know. Do, do they have like a monthly or a yearly pass? For trains, I don't know. I know they. I know they got like a, they do it for, for buses, but I, I drive everywhere. I like yeah, to okay. be able to know that I'm a hundred percent going to be able to get home from uh, yeah. whatever whatever show I do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have. Uh, I've quite often had comedians stay at my house because yeah. there's been a, a message on Facebook being like, "I'm stuck in Leeds. The last train's already gone, and there's nothing until six a.m." Yeah. No, so, okay, that's no. just useful to know if I ever get stuck there. Because I, I use. Don't open these. Just come start anyway. Yeah. We've got a spare room. Oh great. Yeah. No, because I I live in London, central London, and so I don't own a car because owning a car in central London. Yeah, it doesn't. Is a, yeah, doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would spend a fortune just to keep a car in London. So I travel everywhere. Uh, yeah, I think your your rent for a car parking space in London would probably be more than the mortgage that we're paying on our Yeah, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what? So what do you what do you know? Or what do you use on a regular basis that would be useful to others? You know, if they want to be. Uh, if you want to be successful, uh, I don't. Well, it depends how you measure success. Really. Okay, well, so let's say you know you could go back to your to yourself ten years ago, right. or your kids are sitting there. What what advice? What would you tell them to do? Not listen. Not listen to other people. 
not everyone that you meet will have your back. And even though they might be nice to your face, yeah. behind they might be wishing you to fail, especially in a, a competitive industry. So, although I think you should be nice to people and respect people and, and, and do all that, um, make sure you know who your real friends are, because there's enough people who will, who will fake a friendship yeah. if they think that they can get something out of you, um, which is how I got this position on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Damn, he's he's hacked me. <laughs> so, so, so if you if you're ten years ago, yourself yeah. was sitting on the other side. What three to five things would you say? Go and do this, or 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 do this, or whatever. You know, the like, first thing. Yeah. Always be true to yourself. Um, so important to make sure that you know the decisions that you make. Are the right ones for you, and uh, and don't be afraid to go back on a decision as well. Something that feels right at the time, six months down the line, it might not it might not be working out for you. So, if it's your truth to do it at one point, your truth might change. So, if you stick honest to yourself and honest to who you're working with, you keep good working relationships. So, even if if you are, so I was asked to write a fringe diary. For, for this fringe and uh, I really wanted to do it I was really enjoying writing it but because of the number of shows that I'm doing a day and because of the timings of the shows it wasn't sustainable for me to be able to continue writing um, for the magazine so I had to stop doing that otherwise either the shows would suffer the writing would suffer. I mean, my writing was suffering toward the end of the, the diary entries anyway. Yeah. Um, I was just exhausted, so I was I was coming back, I was doing about an hour of writing in an afternoon before I had my afternoon nap, going out, doing my evening show, coming back, well, doing all the networking as well, getting back about 4am in the morning, and then having to write this extra diary entry to, to round off the day. Yeah, and uh, it was just too much. So you know, stay true to yourself and know what your limits are, and don't be afraid to to go back on something if uh, if it's not working out for you. Okay, uh, and so what are the most some of the most pivotal moments in your life that made you grow or you led to an epiphany? Um, so there's there's been a there's been a few. Obviously, I mentioned the, the first time I was on stage doing stand up before. Yeah. Uh, but prior to that, um, funny moments that, oh, not, not funny moments, but moments that stand out as being pivotal in my life. So when I was eight years old, I got diagnosed with um, dyslexia. Now, uh, when I was eight years old, it wasn't explained to me properly at the time. So for a very long time, felt like I was uh, I was broken or I was wrong or there was something about me that wasn't the, the same as everyone else and uh, I, I looked at my life very negatively and uh, I had that all the way up until I was probably in my early 20s and uh, it wasn't because I, I wasn't smart or not intelligent just I felt that um, I was wrong and then I read a book um, which was called uh, Dyslexia Gift um, 
and that changed my whole perspective on how I saw myself. Yeah, uh, and maybe view dyslexia in a more positive light. And dyslexia has definitely helped me in my career. I'm definitely more creative for having a learning disability. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely more proactive uh, and work harder because I know that, you know, I never thought that I would be in a career where writing is an integral part of my job. Yeah. And, uh, you know I, know, I know I've got to work hard to do it. So, and, you know, it was after reading that book that I realised that, okay, finally, it's, it's not a problem with me, it's, uh, I'm just different. And just because I see things differently and process things differently, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. Uh, it just means that I might be able to get to an answer quicker or find a different solution to a problem. And that's that's a gift. Yeah. And that's what that's what the, the book is about. You know. Yeah. And okay. What was the book called? Uh, dyslexia, the dyslexia, the gift. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it, so you now view your dyslexia as a gift. Yeah. As, which is what it really is. Yeah. I think yeah. Self-perception is really important, and especially in the, these days with social media, everyone's trying to put out their back, their, you know, their best life, their flexing, and you know, it just. As long as you, again, true to yourself, you know yourself, and every, everybody has value. Yeah. Um, and as long as you see value in what you're doing, everyone else will see it as well. Oh, nice. Okay. And what? Um, so, what do you think are the qualities to becoming successful? Um. So you've got to be ambitious. Uh, you've got to have drive, and you've got to have ability. So. To, to be successful, not everyone will be successful, uh, especially in our industry. So I think if you're going to be successful as a comedian, talent will get you so so much of the way. Yeah. Being a good person will get you a little bit further. And then having that X factor, yeah. having the, the undescribable thing that no one can say, yeah, you've got this or you haven't got this. That's the um, that's the uh, the next thing to, to get you through. And you know, I, I hate the term X Factor because the people who are booking you or the people who are, are casting you in, in, in the auditions and stuff like this, it's it's what they see. Yeah. And I think if you don't believe that you have it, you'll never have it. So again, again self self belief will get you quite far. So talent. Being a good person and then having the belief and, and being an optimist. Yeah, yeah, de definitely. Yeah. So, were you on Britain's Got Talent? No, no, no. I would not, would not want to go on that show. Okay. Um, I think that there's, there's different parts for different comedians. Every comedian walks walks their own journey. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I am that type of comedian. Um, you've seen my jokes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're prime time TV ready. It'd be more of a late night thing. But, uh, yeah, if a, if, a, if a comedian's good for this show and stuff like that, yeah, fine, go on, go on Britain's Got Talent. But again, it's the... It's not right for everyone, and the contract for Britain's Got Talent is like a Bible. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. So if you, <laughs> if you read through the, the contract, 
um, they own everything that you do, everything that you do, whether you do it like five years ago, whether you did it five years in the future. So, but, it, but it's only that clip, right? <laughs> no, it, it depends on, on how, how invested the psycho company are in it. Um, so, we, I mean, the, the whole the whole thing with contracts and contract law is, you know, they, they own your rights for however long, and in this universe and in the next universe or, or whatever. So, I, I think you've got to be careful of what you're signing. I, I, I personally don't don't trust some of the bigger companies. I think you can see a lot of people who have been exploited through similar shows to. Britain's Got Talent, yeah. and uh, I think it, it, if, if you're looking for a quick fix, you know, if uh, if I was on my last legs, I wasn't getting any gigs on the circuit, my tours weren't doing it any well, you know, maybe I'd do it as a last ditch yeah. effort to to keep my career afloat, but that's that's where it would be, it would be my last, my, my final hurrah to, to come to So you wouldn't go on celebrity, get me out of here, whatever it is. Oh, that's, that's a difference. So you've already established your, your career then, so I'd, yeah, I'd love to go on a celebrity. Get me oh, okay, all right, that's good, yeah. Uh, but, but what, what do you think of gong shows? shows? Gong shows have their place, yeah. you know? Uh, I know a lot of comedians who, who are against gong shows, but... If you, so, I think Gong Shows are comedians who've been in the industry for, you know, maybe one to five years. They don't have their Club 20 yet. Yeah. Uh, their joke writing is not very strong. Like, if you want to know if, if you're a good comic or not, go and do a Gong Show and you'll soon find out yeah. whether you can survive the five. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I started doing Gong Shows and I've noticed that I've been started improving and you know, I've noticed there's a difference yeah because the gong show puts you under so much pressure yeah and so I, I've, I've done a few I've done a few gong shows in the past and the only one that I ever won was uh, in Chester and it was a joint win with uh, my partner in crime at the time a guy called Nick Banks who was, was another great joke writing and fantastic comedian um, but we yeah so I did, I never won one solely I've won one joint with him yeah. And I've, I've beat the gong so many times on so many gong shows and then not won the clap off because I don't bring my friends to comedy shows. Yeah, but the thing is, I think I think once once you get through the five minutes, that's it. You, I think you won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so as, I, as soon as you survive the yeah, five, that's, that's, right. that's so the moral that you Yeah, right that's now. right. Yeah, exactly. So all I'm looking at is getting through the five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, a, noticed, that's a good way yeah. to look at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so whatever happens after that, I don't really care. I've got through the five minutes, I've got my clip, I'm happy, that's it. Mm -hmm. So I do the Manchester Comedy Store and the Frog uh, and Bucket. Those two are my favourite. And I've gotten through about three or four times on each. King Gong and uh, Beat the Frog. Yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've yeah. done both of those. So uh, I survived, survived the five at King Gong and I was pretty sure I was going to win. And then a, a comedian called Glenn Moore stepped on stage, and he absolutely ripped it a new yeah. one. So uh, he's a, he's on BBC Radio Four now. He's doing lo loads of stuff. Great comedian. Check him out, Glenn Moore. Oh, brilliant! I'll, I'll check him out. So, um, and what are you most grateful for? 
if you looked at your entire life, what, what things are you? I'm really grateful for, for the job that I do. Um, I think we're very privileged to be able to say we're yeah. comedians. That's right, yeah. And, you know, it's not an easy life, but... It's a great life. It's, it's, you, you spend your time trying to make people happy, trying to make people laugh, which... Uh, uh, don't get me wrong we all do it for the praise you know when, when you've done a gig and you've done really well and, and you leave and everyone's like oh you're so good you're a great comedian that's, that's all fine it's an adrenaline rush and you taste it but when it comes down to it I think a lot of comedians really do care about the bigger picture and they want to make people happy I think you wouldn't you wouldn't do it if, if that wasn't one of the goals yeah. as, a, as a comedian well I, I want to make the audience think I want them to go away going you know like you know like I want them to thinking about it the next day yeah you know I want them to go oh wow I never thought of it that way or I never thought of it like that or I've never seen it from that angle I, I just want them to laugh so hard yeah. that they forget what they've laughed about so okay. I can do the same material next time. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is the golden grail. Uh, the holy grail, sorry. Yeah, that would be the holy grail. Awesome, right. So that's um, that's the podcast. Do you want to say anything else to, no, to your 10-year-old uh, self? You know, whatever it is. Oh, to my 10-year-old self. Um... Uh, behave. Don't annoy your dad. Don't don't burn the house down again. Yeah. Don't don't set anything on fire. Bad. That's naughty. And um, uh, believe in yourself. Uh, trust what feels right for you. And don't self sabotage. I think they're the, they're the main thing. And, and and do you have any kind of ritual before you go on stage? So if you're going to do a big gig, do you? Is there any way you do anything that prepares try, you? Try and stay calm. I think, uh, especially for big gigs, you're, you're always going to have a little bit of an adrenaline rush before a gig anyway, yeah. which, is, which is good. But too much can just take the edge off your performance. So just try and stay calm. A gig's a gig. Yeah. Uh, so like I, I always say before any of the big gigs, it's not a life-changing gig it doesn't matter how much you smash it yeah it's not going to change your life um, so yeah, that that kind of takes some of the you know pressure, the pressure off, yeah, off. Yeah, yeah and then i can just go and i can do do my performance and, and, and do what I, I enjoy doing well for me i've been trying to I, because i'm an introvert a massive introvert and so i have massive stage right uh, no, but it's, it's good. So See, I've seen you on stage, and you would never, you would never guess yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Never so, guess that. At all. So I, I do. I have a ritual. <laughs> um, I've and I've been optimizing it more and more. Okay. And uh, literally in the last couple of weeks since I've been here, I've optimized it even more. Okay, what do you do? Oh, so I, I do a breathing exercise before I go on stage, and I, and I've noticed when I do my breathing exercise, I go on stage, I'm so much more relaxed, so much better on stage. Um, and I've been learning this breathing technique for about three to six months or something now. And it's and the more I do it, the better I get at doing it. Yeah. And now um, I've hacked it so much, it's just crazy. Um, it's just yeah, it's off the charts now for me. In fact, now if I was doing the gong show, for example, I would go into the, I'll go into the toilets. Yeah. 
to the girlies' cubicle, which is the best place to be before the yeah, show. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And, uh, and I do my breathing exercise five minutes, and I'm ready. Um, in fact, now I won't go on stage unless I've done my breathing. Yeah. So literally, if I, if I was going on stage, I'd be like, okay, I'll see you in about five minutes, and then I'm sure. gone, go somewhere, and the toilets, wherever. I don't really care. Uh, I normally use the, um, you know, the disabled curtains. Oh, I lost that, yeah. Got big space. Yeah. Just hope that when you unlock it, there's not a guy in a wheelchair. Yeah, I know, outside. I know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they're usually a lot cleaner as well. So I go and do my breathing in there, and then I come out and ready. And I've noticed my presence is so much better once I've done my breathing. Uh, but it used to be, yeah, I used to do all kinds of stupid things to get myself in the zone. One of those, I would run outside. Yeah. If I was doing like a gong show in Manchester, for example, the number of times I've done this in Manchester, I'm about to go on stage. You know, it's probably nine o'clock, I'm going to be on stage. Eight o'clock, I'm running outside, yeah. talking to all the homeless people. One after the other. And they're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Right? Yeah, like, so, you didn't even give us any money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm running around. Uh, and that used to work really well. I'd just go around and talk to 50 people and they're not. But the problem I found was when I was doing a gig in a village and they brought like one little pub in there and there's 10 people in there and that's it. You're like, who the hell are we going to talk to now? So I would run into pubs in village in a village and I'd say hello to everybody, including the bar staff. And they just look at me weird, come out, go back in and do it again. Come out, go back and do it because I got to hit 50 people. Yeah. It was the most embarrassing thing on the planet, right? <laughs> They're like looking at me going, You just did that a minute ago. It was the yeah. same, you were the same, it was the same guy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, how's it going? Yeah, then I'm next person, next person. And like, I'm like, they're getting ready to pepper spray me or, or, or have me tied away. Oh, I'm glad you found your breathing exercise. Yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> the breathing exercise gives me the same impact, but I can do it for that. Having to talk to someone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh,